Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick second to shout out our friends at QDB.com. That's C-U-E-D-B.com. QDB is a cloud-based software that allows you to make your own customizable cue lists for spotting, composition, orchestration, mixing, and cue sheet delivery. If you'd like to try it out, use the code COMPOSERTALK for 15% off for one year. This composer duo have teamed up to craft a synth-infused score for the vampire horror thriller Night Teeth on Netflix. I've also been a huge fan of their work on Apple TV's Dickinson, and the composers are... Ian Holquist and Sophia Holquist, also known as Drum and Lace. How y'all doing? Thanks Hello. for having us. Yeah, so cool to see your spot. And uh, I've been a huge fan of both of you for a while. I mean, Sophia, I think we met uh, very briefly at the Synthplex or some Ableton talk that you did in yeah. LA. Yeah, I, I did both of those. There was kind of a year, year and a half when I feel like I was doing a lot of the music tech stuff, um, which was really, really great because I think that it got my name out there and I got to meet a lot of people and... Um, and I think obviously COVID has slowed a lot of things down. But yeah, it must have been either Ableton Loop when they did it here um, or, yeah, Synthplex. Even though the talk that I did at Synthplex was like 9 a.m. and it was like next door to oh, Junkie yeah. XL. So That's it was like, so yeah, early. okay. <laughs> it was fun. That was a fun one. I mean, I had a good yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. As someone who had just moved to L.A. at the time, I didn't really know like Cubase or hadn't really scored much in Logic. So it was nice to see someone, I think, working in Ableton at the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I must have still been in Ableton. Yeah, that that phase ended very quickly once you move away from a shorter format um, of stuff. But we can chat about all that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so you started doing like it was ad music in terms of like working the picture, right? Yeah. So, I mean, essentially, once I um, graduated from grad school, I started working as an in-house composer at, at a startup. And um, a lot of the focus of that was kind of more ad-y stuff because it was essentially like a music marketing company and from there you know when I started doing drum and lace it really started as um, a vehicle or a name for me to be able to do scoring for fashion Mm -hmm. and most of the stuff for fashion tends to be short format you know if it's like a video lookbook even if it's like for a runway show you know it's it's not anything like super super extensive you know you're not doing 70 minutes of score so I guess you can say that I kind of started in more kind of like a ad than a narrative space for sure gotcha yeah were you like, I mean, was it like a goal to do film scoring specifically or did you just want to make music at the time? Or Yeah, I mean, Ian and I met at um, the film scoring program at Berkeley, actually. Um, that's where we first met and we both graduated, surprisingly. And um, I don't know, at the time when we graduated, I did not want to really pursue film scoring just because I I'd left the program not really knowing if it was for me because I think that, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day as well about how you kind of need to learn the rules to know how to break them. But it kind of took me a little while to realize I could break them and just kind of didn't have to do everything kind of academically as you've been taught. So I think both Ian and I didn't feel like moving to L.A. right away. So um, I took a bit of like a detour and a bit of a, you know, 
did other stuff. And then I think it was scoring kind of fashion films and stuff. And it was like, and Ian was at a point in his career where he was ready to give scoring a shot. And I think we just looked at each other and we were like, you know, let's just try to move to LA. We've been in New York for five years. We've been on, we were in Boston for five years before that. So we were like, well, let's try. And, you know, thankfully we'd had the skill to be able to, or like the education to kind of. I think we had a lot of luck. And we, I mean, we, I think we, we had a lot of luck. We, we've worked really hard, but yes, absolutely. Luck plays a lot into this career for sure. What were some of those like lucky moments that stand out now? Uh, I think even just like being able to meet face to face with filmmakers, uh, you know. I mean, Ian, your first, your first two gigs were like complete happenstance. Yeah. Uh, my, my first full length documentary went to Sundance and then right after that, my first indie uh, narrative went to South by Southwest. But you met one person, an editor at a party, just randomly, and then you met somebody on the set of a music video. Yeah. So that's like, I don't know. It's not are, luck. There's but, a lot of lucky moments that yeah. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Which well, is really cool. Like, yeah, putting yourself in the right situation. Right? Like, were those both in New York at the time? Uh, no. You know, one of them was in New York. Uh, some of it was in LA. I, w- I was in a band at the time called Passion Pit, and we were constantly traveling uh, we would be spending a lot of time in Los Angeles. We'd be in New York as like the home base, and then we'd you know be all over the world on tour. So the the one that Sophia is referring to, as far as like the music video set, is a uh, we were shooting a video for one of our songs called Constant Conversations, and it was a slightly different uh, type of music video where like we actually had a, a cast in it, and it was supposed to be a bit more like film like as opposed to some of the other ones we had done. And one of the actors in the video was David Dasmalchen, who I had recognized from being in uh, The Dark Knight. And uh, I'm a nerd, so I was like, hey, you were in a Batman movie, can I talk to you? And we just totally became friends, like right then and there. We started talking a lot. Uh, I shared with him that, you know, my passion really was film scoring, but I was kind of looking for the chance to really bite into it. And he said that he had a feature script called Animals that he's been wanting to get made for years. And that kind of, that was like literally one of the first sparks that kind of started this whole journey. Yeah. And we're still friends with David today. Yeah. And now he's killing it. Yeah. Now he's Dune just in and Suicide Squad. Yeah. He's doing great. All the good things. Speaking of those, I, I wanted to ask like about like the, any genres of movies that you're like curious to score or get into in the near future. I feel like we've been able to both together and separately explore a lot of different genres in the last couple of years, um, you know, varying from anything that people would consider more like comedy all the way to like more drama. And then, you know, I know what you did last summer and Night Teeth are a little bit more towards horror and action. And personally, right now I'm signed on to a couple horror projects and drama. So, you know, for me, I feel like I'm finally finding the real space that feels good for me, you know, like a kind of thriller, horror, drama, kind of darker vibe is really what resonates with me and the horror has been really really fun so i feel like i would love to inhabit that space for a little bit longer um Mm -hmm. right now i feel like some people give me a dirty look but i would i love to do just like a full-on superhero film (laughs) like big loud orchestra lots and lots of players in air hall yeah that's that's totally what i'd love to play with but like we've even just this year alone like we've been having a lot of fun with genre between night teeth and i know you did last summer that sophie mentioned I also did a show for Peacock called One of Us is Lying that was a bit more like mysterious teen drama. Um, it's We've been lucky this year. We've got to try out like a lot of new things. Yeah. 
I've been a huge fan of Dickinson for a while too, so love mm-hmm. music for that. Thank you. Yeah, season three starts in a week, week and a half. Yeah, very soon. Yeah, the final season. See, see uh, Dickinson's like all genres at once. Yeah. It's like rom com, slapstick. Way. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's so funny. You know, when it comes to kind of awards shows, um, a show like that gets lumped in with comedy, and it's there's definitely comedic moments, and a lot of the acting is comedy, but it explores a lot of things that aren't necessarily comedy you know it's not just like slapstick all the time so I feel like the show will hopefully live on and keep finding more and more of an audience but I do think that it does you know people do look at it and they're like oh it's just for teens but it's really it's really more it's such a beautiful show you know to look at and you know hopefully our music helps with all that too and it's been really great to work on and I mean it's it's really what's spearheaded and propelled you know us to be able to do more work so it's been really great it's really felt like a a three-year art project that we've been making mm-hmm. with elena mm-hmm. smith and all of our other collaborators yeah yeah for sure we, i was actually we were mastering the soundtrack for season three right before this oh nice yeah i mean i just love that you're able to like really explore i guess musically with the show and it seems like it seems like there's a lot of collaboration going on there on the music side yeah, definitely. Yeah, surprisingly, even though the cues are like 30 seconds, um, you know, like they're pretty short cues. It's sometimes the, the tone is hard to find just because there's so much nuance in the way that the showrunner um, and the writers kind of depict these characters that sometimes it's I don't want to say it's hard to pick up on the emotion they're supposed to feel, but it's just you have to keep it all within context of like what I don't know. It's 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 been a challenging show to work on, even though again it's you know considered kind of a comedy. Yeah. No. Honestly, I think we've both agreed over the years. Comedy is the hardest thing for us to score, for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, but I think that might be true for a lot of people because it's it's easy to make people feel sad, and comedy just has to like you have to hit timing. It has to work with what's really has to work with what's on. Um, camera, which is why I think can't anim- be distracting. Yeah, which is why I think you know animation also is just you know hands you know <laughs> putting my hands up and whatever to anyone that does animation really well. And- yeah, yeah, I mean there's just so much going on now that we have a little one, and I've been watching more animated stuff and more cartoons. It's just it's it's so it's much. Job. Yeah, yeah, it's really challenging for sure. But it's funny because yeah, I mean like those kinds of like Mickey Mouse comedy moments seem really tricky but then like i mean like yes god yes like that score you know like there are so many like moments that you had to like transition musically from like one mood to another sometimes somewhat quickly and it's just like yeah i mean i guess that, that does go down to timing though at the end of the day yeah it's it's a lot of timing it's a lot of finding the right tone yes god yes uh, it's funny you brought that up uh that was actually that was a very challenging score to write it's very simple like musically but it took us a while to find like the right palette the right instruments the right use of it uh and it's not a very score heavy movie at all but uh when it is there i think it's definitely uh very prominent and like it's carrying some pretty big moments for sure well i want to just kind of go back for a sec um because you talked about berkeley and i was wondering like when you started like working it's just on like full like film scores did you feel like well prepared you know from studying there to like tackle uh, a full-on score <laughs> No. <laughs> no, not. No. I and mean, what do you wish that you knew then? I really think that the program is very different now. I, I, I have, I have to think that 
because of the level of talent that's coming out um, that they have better, you know, I'm, I know they have better resources because they have new recording rooms and um, and all that stuff. I mean, I don't know. I think that when we were at Berkeley and, you know, this was this was a while ago. It was like 2004 to 2008. I think things were at that stage where like they hadn't fully transitioned into like the newest tech and it was still like using the tech that was working for them. So, you know, and I don't think that there's any doubt that knowing how to conduct to an actual physical analog clock is a bad thing. But I also don't really know that I've ever had to use that or like, you know, conducting to punches and streamers is great. But I, you know, unless I'm like planning on conducting silent movies, I'm not really sure, you know. So it was a lot of that kind of stuff where it was great to know. And I think um, the orchestration classes were good and just kind of like learning more about what the you know emotion of music needs to do to picture but to be honest it's like I don't think that we got enough hands-on experience when we were there um I just don't think that you know the internet was as easy of a thing to navigate maybe but yeah I definitely feel like every time we tackle a bigger score it's always like a new adventure now we feel a lot more well prepared but yeah at the beginning it's it's all a learning curve yeah I mean I feel like they just they taught us uh an old school way of film scoring and what it was it's, it's like it would have worked for us if we wanted to come out here and have ten assistants do like all the mock-ups and the mixing for us. But like that's not how Sophie and I do it. We're completely hands-on with everything. Uh, we don't even have assistants. Like we're literally doing everything possible. Yeah, we got to wow. work on that. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, it, it just so like when it came time, like especially for me, like I did feel like I was prepared in knowing how to read film. That's not necessarily from the film scoring major. I think that's just from like me and like my own studies. And I, I did actually was able to take like some film classes at school. So I think that helped as well. But uh, I spent almost like the first five years out in LA just like learning everything on the technical side that I could. I mean, we came out here with laptops and we're like trying to score feature films on just that and like an old like lacy rugged drive, you know, like we just didn't really have the know-how. And now I feel like we've been able to get to a point where things are a lot more streamlined and simplified, but powerful. Mm-hmm. And uh, our lives are easier. But I do have to, you know, credit credit is due in that I got to Berkeley with zero kind of compositional um, background. You know, I, I originally went to be a vocalist and, you know, knew some like basic music theory, but like, really, you know, didn't know what a Neapolitan chord was, you know, like, I didn't know a lot of the more like technical things that you study when you study composition. So, you know, when it comes to classical and more modern stuff, it was definitely eye opening for me, especially, you know, learning about 20th century composers and music concrete and stuff like that is stuff that I hadn't come across. So, you know, I think the composition classes um, and theory classes were actually what was ended up being more helpful for me at least um but yeah they taught us music yes they they did film scoring specifically was a little tricky yeah yeah Uh, Sophia why did you decide to go to the um you went to NYU after right for music tech I did was that to like focus on production you know it was actually I I felt after Berkeley I felt a little bit lost and to be honest we um we graduated in 2008 so we essentially like got our degrees in music and then you know, everyone lost their jobs and the stock market crashed and whatever. And um, being an international student, I, you know, was faced with like, oh, so I can no longer try to get a job in the US. I'm going to have to go back to Europe, which, you know, I'd planned for. And in another reality, I 
still living in London and, you know, would have been like, bye, Ian, and never seen him again. Um, but, you know, I, I wasn't done with my exploration of um, music synthesis and, you know, what I'd picked up kind of the last year, the last few years in Boston. So I decided to kind of challenge myself. And I'd always been a fan of acoustics and the idea of doing kind of like sound installations um, was always really appealing to me. So when I found out that NYU had a music tech program that had the specialization in 3D audio and acoustics, I kind of, and, you know, had really great electronic music um, professors. I just, I applied and got in and, you know, worked really hard. I like essentially worked full time while going to school full time. Um, But it was worth it because I think that I gained some production and just some technology insight that, as Ian said, has been helpful now with us, you know, mixing and producing and doing all of our stuff on our own. So it was really great. I got to meet a lot of great people. Got to live in New York for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I was in the uh, music tech program my freshman year and then transferred to the NYU Clive. Like, oh, no way. Yeah. I uh, I worked at Clive as a PA for a year, year and a half. Nice. So I was, uh, the yeah. you probably remember, checking in the mics and stuff. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Clive always looked like, I mean, the studios at Clive were just extra. Like we had the sixth floor uh, at Steinhard, which was nice and had just been redone. But if you weren't like a Tonmeister, like a mixing person, you can really use the board. So I yeah. was in this little room that had 16 speakers and Maxim SP and it was just in there all day <laughs> on my own because no one ever came in. <laughs> yeah. I think that room got flooded like my sophomore year or something. Like there's some like, <gasps> oh, wow. or something. Oh, no. Well, it must have been way past my time. So it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was better that they got to upgrade it and write mm. off stuff. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nice. Um, well, cool. I just have a couple of questions before we go to the last segment uh, for the podcast. But the next one's just on like work-life balance. I mean, congrats on parenthood. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty recent still. Thank you. I was curious, like, yeah, like if you have any like things you've learned about how to, you know, especially like, I guess, working like this is a studio in your house, right? Yeah, this is our garage. Um, this is primarily my room, but it's also where whenever we co-compose, we're which in here. Which lately has been a lot. Which is most of the projects lately. Um, but behind this building, there's another uh, shed that we built that's Sophia's studio. Oh, nice. So we both have our own private spaces when needed. Yeah, I mean, we uh, definitely haven't cracked the life-work balance for sure. Yeah, um, it's a work in progress. But I think... I think it was harder actually before having a kid to find that balance because now in a way it's like we are forced to have to take breaks and we're forced to have to be kind of on on someone else's schedule. Because before before having this um, addition to our family, I think that we we were just working as much as we could seven days a week, you know, taking weekends off every here and there. But I mean, we just kind of, you know, we're working and on call all the time. Um, whereas now we have very much kind of like a structured day of like, let's call it from like 9am to 5pm, we have time to work. And then if we really have to go back to work, it's usually not until after 8pm. And you know, it's it's changed, it changes a lot, because all of a sudden, if somebody, if a director or somebody is trying to reach you, and it's 6pm, it just has to be like, I'm so sorry, but my priorities are not that right now. So I think that, you know, as much as it's been hard, I think it's also been really helpful, because we were definitely we were definitely in a rhythm that wasn't sustainable. And even now, I mean, sometimes I feel like we're in a rhythm that's not sustainable because we'll try to work on weekends as well, whereas it's it just doesn't really work. But I think more than anything, I think we're learning to um, prioritize 
and yeah. say and honestly say no to projects. Yeah, we're learning to say no a lot easier. Um, and I think it's also like we're being pickier about which projects we do decide to take on. And I, I should say, like, we're super lucky that we have options, first of all, because, yeah. like, and it's taken, we know how hard it is out there. We've been out here for eight years. So it's it's taken, you know, this long to, like, start being able to say no to things and not think that, oh, my God, I'm going to lead my family into financial ruin. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky. You know, like, we kind of went from being able to do whatever we want whenever we want to there is someone who takes priority over everything now and they need all the attention first before we think about anything else. Um, when we but first, I think it's for the better. When we first moved here, we went to, what screening was it? We saw Giacchino at a SCL screening and he, you and know, mentioned, yeah, I mean, this was years ago and he mentioned how he only works like nine to five. And at the time, Mo- we were, Monday, through Friday. Monday through Friday. And I was like, how is that possible? What is a secret, whatever. And now, you know, I get it. Like you literally can't work more than that. I mean, maybe once you have like a teenager, but not when you have a 19 month old. No, that's doesn't understand that. You know. Yeah, I remember he said because he, he had like a month or something to do Rogue One. I mean, yeah. that's and he insane. was like, that's he has a he has a weekly Tuesday night dinner date with his friends that they just always do, and he said he met. He made every single one, even while he was working on that film. Yeah, that's Which, still insane to me. I still don't so get it. Tired. But like, I was very impressed. I was like, man, that's that's the way I want to do it. Even I remember um, years ago, we got to rent out Bob Ross's studio for the day to mix My Blind Brother, which is a score I did a, few, a while back. And uh, I think the engineer I was working with, Matthew J. Ward, also worked with James Dean Howard a lot. And he said that he kind of the same schedule where like kind of treats like a nine to five, just shows up at nine, does the job goes home and he, he unplugs, you know. I, I Obviously, I think stuff happens, like you get King Kong and you have to write an entire two and a half hour score in three weeks or whatever. But I I think for our sanity, it's, it's actually better when we can kind of treat this more as like a regular job mm-hmm. as opposed to like living in here all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I think like, I mean, you said it's taken eight years, which, you know, it's funny because it's not even that long in the scheme of some composers like time span to get to this point of being busy, but yeah, it's hard because if you spent even four or however many years like of constantly getting no's or like not getting gigs, and when you start getting offered them, it's easy to just take every single one that you can. You, mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you're in that in that position now where you feel confident about being able to turn down the gigs that maybe just don't align as well with what you want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. it's. I think it's a new territory for both of us. You know, like in the past, it'd be like maybe once or twice a year we'd say no to something but otherwise it'd be like i will take whatever i can get Mm -hmm. um and now we're super lucky that we can do this yeah i think i can say like the biggest thing for me is i've been saying no to a lot of docuseries and that's just because i've done so many docuseries and documentary films and uh i didn't necessarily set out to be a documentary composer um i feel fortunate that the ones i've done are super cool and andrew rossi and aaron lean carr have been amazing collaborators for almost a decade but uh, I definitely have my heart in narrative and especially like TV narrative I've really been enjoying. Yeah, Ian's really been loving TV. So I, I, I mean, like I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to kind of keep doing a little bit more of that, hopefully. And you know, like TV, when it comes to our current schedule, TV actually works really well because for the most part, our experience with TV, especially when we were on Good Girls, is that people really do work Monday through Friday. Like they might work late into the evening, but like the weekends are off. Um, Because most of the people, at least on Good Girls, had families. So, you know, that kind of helps to start treating it more like, you know, like 
a nine to five kind of thing. And it gives you a little bit more structure because then it's like as much as it sucks that you spot an episode on Monday and by the next Monday you're mixing, like as much as that's stressful, at least you know that then, you know, after that mix, you're on to the next one. It's not, you know, like narratives can sometimes like, you know, things get pushed all the time, whereas in film less often. Yeah, it's when you're on a, a movie for let's say like three months on and off and it's just kind of like starting and stopping. It, it's tricky to retain the same amount of focus you first had when you started. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, TV, I think because you're jumping to a new episode every week or so, it kind of helps keep the momentum going. Yeah. Cool. Well, if it's all right with you, I think I'll go on to the last segment for the podcast, a segment called Tech Talk, where I list off a tech topic and you can say as much or as little as you want about it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. First one I have here is DAW. Oh, man. Cubase. <laughs> yeah, Cubase. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, when we first moved out here, I like Sophia. I was only on Ableton, and I was convinced that it could do everything I needed to do to score movies, uh, and I was very, very mistaken. Um, I love Ableton. I think it's an incredible creation tool, but um, Cubase yeah. is the DAW that, for some reason, stuck with me, and now I can't think about anything else. I still use Ableton to write my own music, um, like working on my record or stuff like that i still do it in ableton um but yeah ian switched over to cubase like six years ago. i mean a, a well, long time i remember ago. i got it back in like 2011 do you remember leader of the pack that yeah. short film that was in cubase oh. so like i'd been kind of dabbling in it for a while but it's ian just... switched a while ago and then over the course of one summer he was like you're learning cubase this summer and i was like no no no, i'm gonna do keep doing ableton and then it's like the moment that you need to like score a picture and I it's like it you been can't dickinson I was like, well, we're doing oh. this now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no, no way out. Oh, no, it was it was uh, first Monday in May. I don't know. No, I that can't. was Ableton. Yeah, I can't. Was I it? It was. It, we oh got a project God. where we were doing it together, and I was basically like, I'm in Cubase now, so you're in Cubase now. Yeah, and honestly, I'm, I'm very glad because Cubase works really well, and we use it with Video Sync, so then it just, it's so seamless. Um, and obviously, we still do our master sessions and spotting stuff in Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and anytime I'm, Recording like if we're like on I know what you did last summer or night teeth if I'm recording sounds from the modular or recording things that I want to manipulate kind of a little bit more I'll do those in Ableton and just bounce them out and then we'll drag them into Cubase. Nice clean setup, no rewire. <laughs> yeah, no rewire. but it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, it's I think tech or yeah officially discontinued, right? Yeah, I was actually like a m- couple months ago. I was like, oh, maybe I'll try this because I think some of the composers still do that. I think you and commented then, on my YouTube video about it, actually. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, that's right. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> wow, Ian. You found a workaround. I found a workaround, and it's not great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next one here is favorite synth plugins. Ooh. Ooh. Um, should we talk about favorite ones that we used on Night Teeth, just to kind of narrow the yes. scope? Because I feel like... I mean, they're, they're, they're my favorites, regardless. Okay. I We definitely, I guess, used a lot of your favorites. Yeah, I, I love everything that Yuhi makes. Uh, they're a German synth company. They make Zebra, Diva, Repro, yeah. all of which we use on IT extensively. Mm-hmm. And I use every day on everything, basically. And then, like most people, um, we use the FabFilter EQ. And then the Valhalla stuff is really great. You know, the room and the vintage. Another one that we've been using more, or that I've been using a lot, is Sketch Cassette. Mm. It's this really... Um, I think it's like 20 bucks, but it's this really great little like tape emulator. And it it's, just it's adds, amazing. it just adds so much texture and it's really, really, um, and then we um, use the Slate and Ash yes. or something else, which yeah. we used a lot of on. Slate and Ash are making some of the most 
unique sounds that I've I've heard. Really, really cool stuff. Yeah, and also, um, is it also Slade and Ash that do the? Um, I can't remember now. Oh my God, I remember. I remember the the way that they look. But I, well, another thing that we used a lot of, which I mean, I think you know, sound toys is definitely not a a mystery to anyone who um, uses a lot of plugins. But we actually had the chance to use a tremulator a lot on mm. Night Teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think I'd really ever used that much before. But it was like actually almost using it like a sequencer as opposed to like a trem tremulator. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, Sophie did some wild programming on this movie. Yeah, I just you know sometimes you just gotta put on a bunch of plugins and mess around and <laughs> see what works. But I mean, I think those are the ones that we've been using. Oh, and then um, good all hurts. the good hurts yeah. stuff. Yeah, the good hurts things are just always really great, and um, they always sound so clean but still add a little bit of that like analog warmth to things, I think. Yeah. Who doesn't yeah. love Wolf Compressor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever reached out to a company like, I think Slee and Ash actually, yeah, they do like custom sounds. Like do you ever reach out to like sound designers or do you find like the sound design process like very integral to composing? Uh, you know, we just for the first time uh, sampled our piano Ooh. that we've had with us for a decade maybe like it came with us from new york and we had felt put on last yeah. year and stuff and we've Very literally composery. We've, yeah yeah you know we've literally never sampled it and yeah. uh we worked with an independent um sample designer i guess programmer in the uk named kristen evans and uh she actually just finished it up for us and it's it's cool it's it's definitely um it was an experiment and i think we learned a lot about like what goes into actually having to make like a deeply sampled piano which yeah it makes it makes your appreciation for spitfire audio and other companies like that really really um big because i mean the the amount of work that it is to record every you know to sample things and round robin and all that stuff is really insane but we usually just design all of our stuff ourselves like we yeah i mean very simple like even cubase has like a sampler track now which we're constantly using for stuff and then some of some of the synths like our waldorf quantum can sample so we've used that a bunch of sample stuff and then um some of my Eurorack modules um can sample audio so that's been something that i've been doing yeah but i mean i would love if we ever had the the luxury of time and money to have people make like phone libraries for us that'd be incredible yeah yeah cool well you both killed it here with tech talk don't tell everyone what we've got coming up so we got a lot just came out so (laughs) one of us is lying and peacock is out scored by me I know you did last summer on Amazon Prime is uh, episodes are coming out weekly and that's Sophie and I. Night Teeth just came out on Netflix. That's Sophie and I. And it, that's a film. Though. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dickinson season three premieres November 5th. That's the two of us. Yeah. And then, I mean, we have a bunch of projects that we're just hopping on to. Um, Sophie's about to do like four films at once. Yeah, I have. <laughs> I'm signed on to four things right now. And the latest they're mixing is April. It's kind of like December, January March and April. <laughs> We're not going to see anybody till the spring. Yeah, see y'all in 2023. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, exciting stuff is coming up. And again, it's like, you know, we we're being very conscious about the fact that at least for me right now, you know, if even if a dream project were to come in, like unfortunately, like there just isn't the bandwidth. And also, just saying yes to too many things means sacrificing the quality on other things. So, um, you know, we're just really happy to have this momentum right now and to be able to be doing all these things and that people want to work with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, congratulations. And yeah, Ian and Sophia, it was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks yeah, thank you so much for having us. We'll hopefully see you in real life soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.